0: It is a joy to be here. It's my second time here. It's so good to see you all. Glad to be here. And yes, it is a town of 700 people with one stoplight. It used to be a caution light. We've grown. It's now a stoplight. So, so we are in this, in this small town. So if, if, if you go to Harrisonburg, Virginia, you go 40 miles due west across one large mountain. That's where we are. And we're between Harrisonburg and before you get to the ski slopes further west. And we're kind of in the middle in a small farming town. It's a joy to be here. And today I want to preach actually from John 4, 7 to 26. But I want to begin with this story. Have you ever had that day that you just wish you'd never gotten up? You, just, you got out and halfway through the day you're thinking, why did I get out of bed? Well, this man had just had had a horrible day this day. He couldn't, he wondered, can it get any worse? The weather was hot, he was hot, and he was, quote, displeased exceedingly and angry because he couldn't believe what had just taken place. And so what he did, when he was so upset, he prayed. So listen to his prayer, and you'll recognize who this man is somewhere along the way and why he was so angry. Here is his prayer. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's upset about those things, about God. (laughs) Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Who am I talking about? Jonah, right? Jonah was so mad. He was mad at God. He was mad at the world. And why was he mad? He was mad because instead of destroying Jonah's enemies in Nineveh, because they were his enemies, as he had prophesied with the very message that God had given him, he went and prophesied that God going to destroy this city in three days. And when the people of Nineveh heard that message, they repented of their wickedness. And In response, God showed them mercy. And Jonah's response was, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. I knew that rather than destroy them, if they repented, God would forgive them. And aren't you glad that God ultimately sent Jesus and not Jonah into the world for us? God sent Jesus into the world and not Jonah. Aren't you glad that God so loved the world that he gave his son? And aren't you glad that so glad that when you were yet sinners, When when we were yet sinners, Christ came in to offer mercy to us, to forgive us of our sins and restore us with a relationship with God, free from his just wrath and vengeance. And not only did God send his son, that son was the very one who paid the price to make it all possible. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm glad for that. And this is the good news we proclaim to the world around us. And I'll say this as we begin, if you're here, and I don't know you, I'm a visitor here. If you're a visitor here, you're pretty new to this church, I would encourage you to stay around this church if you don't know Jesus. You'll learn about this Jesus, and he'll give you the greatest joy. You heard these little church. he'll give you joy that is deeper than any suffering or sorrow that you've experienced. On this Christmas season, as we look towards the end of the year, and I actually spoke this at our 40-year anniversary, one of the messages was that we want to remember that God's main message is our main message to the world around us as Christians. And as we end this this Christmas season, as we look forward to the coming year, we want to remember that is, with all the other messages in the world around us, that's the message we bring. And this is going to be a reminder. It's not going to be a big, deep theological message. It's going to be more of a reminder that we have the greatest news that the world needs to hear. And we have the one message. It's the one message that everyone around you needs to hear. Our friends, as well as those we think or it seem like, are our enemies. As our culture gets more fragmented all the time, we want to remember it's not just for those who we think are our friends, but that those who seem like they might be our enemies. So today we're going to look at another story of a hot and dry and tiring day involving not Jonah but Jesus and see how he handles the situation. So let's turn to John chapter 4. You'll know this story. It's very familiar. We're going to start reading in verse 4. We're going to look at verse 3 and then we're going to read through verse 26. So let's start in verse 3. This is Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So when he came to this town of Samaria called Sikar, Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, or he came to that field, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And the sixth hour, is, it was noon. It was around noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands. and The one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, "Sir, I see that you. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship." And Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth." For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called to Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray, and then we'll look at wrong person, wrong place, wrong time. And then we'll look at the greatest news of all. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come before you to study your word because, Lord, your word is truth. And, Lord, your word shows us and explains to us the story of salvation. It tells us who we are. It tells us who you are. And it tells us how we might have true and lasting joy through the salvation that comes in Jesus Christ. Lord, this Christmas season, remind us again that we are your people. We have the greatest news of all, the news of great joy. And help us to proclaim it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at the wrong person, place and time. Was it the wrong person, the wrong place, the wrong time? Jesus and his disciples, well, certainly it was certainly the wrong time. It's in the middle of the day. It's the middle of a hot day, and Jesus is tired. He is weary, and his disciples, which it seemed like they regularly were, were hungry. They didn't get enough to eat, it seems like, so they're hungry, but they're passing through just passing through Samaria. They had no business there that they had to take care of. They were just working their way through. Uh, it's a rest stop. Uh, you don't want to call it that way. It's more of just a rest stop outside of town. It's in the well. They didn't even go into the city. They said Jesus was very tired. There's no compelling reason for a discussion that Jesus is about to enter. He had a lot of reasons not to enter into the discussion. The timing was just wrong. It was just wrong. Not only that, it's the wrong place. Everything about this location is wrong for a spiritual discussion. This was the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak. And if you notice, the, the writer, John would write, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through to get from where he was, was to where he was going. He didn't, they didn't normally, Jews didn't want to pass through Samaria. When they traveled, many times they would go around that land because they didn't want to travel through Samaria, but they had to pass through Samaria. And this Samaria, the whole nation, was the wrong place, with the wrong culture, with the wrong worship. And it's where these people lived. These people lived there. You see, Samaritans were from the wrong people group. Jews and Samaritans, literally, if you just want to cut to the quick, they hated each other. You might spend time with a Gentile if you're a Jew, but you wouldn't spend time with a, with a Samaritan. They were worse. There was 500 years of bad blood and hatred between these two people groups. And we're, I'm West Virginia, Hatfield and McCoys, right? Think 500 years of Hatfields and McCoys. It was 500 years of very bad ethnic hostility, religious hostility, territorial hostility between Jews and Samaritans. Remember the book of Nehemiah? You remember that book, right? Samaritans. That's who they had trouble with. Samballot, Samaritan. When the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians, they sent some of the people back in, and the, the idolatrous people, the idolatrous Jews of the northern people, had interracial marriages with the with their Assyrians, which the Jews were supposed to do because of religious reasons, and that's what you ended up with with Samaritans. Their heritage was wrong, as I said. The religion was wrong. They had a different place of worship. They had a different interpretation of Jewish history. You didn't talk with them. You didn't eat with them. And you certainly didn't associate with them. But here she was. And she asked, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? She was blown away. Did Jesus ask her for a drink? And the commentator writes, For Jesus For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Aren't you glad God sent Jesus instead of Jonah? Not only was it the wrong time, not only was it the wrong place, this was the wrong person on top of it. First of all, she was a woman. In that society, women were subordinate. In that culture, men didn't speak normally with women alone alone. Here Jesus was alone, and when the disciples, we know that because when the disciples returned, they were, quote, marveling that Jesus was talking with a woman. They marveled he's talking with her. Who's he talking with? It's a woman. And here he is talking with her. And not only was she a woman, she was this woman. You're with me, right? You're tracking. It was this woman. She had had five husbands and was now living with the six. And by saying it in so many words, we know that it wasn't the first one died, the second one died, the third. it wasn't, that wasn't the reason why. The implications seemed clear. She was drawing water alone in the middle of the day. The women went together to draw water. You don't go in the middle of the day, it's hot. She went by herself. Why? Well, the implications are no one wanted to be with this woman. The women of the city knew this woman. They had interactions with some. Some of them's hearts would be broken by this woman. She was the wrong woman. She would later testify to the whole town, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. It was that woman. They knew that woman. When she said that, they knew what Jesus had said. Wrong time, wrong person, wrong place. And when I look at her, I realize, and I look at myself, I realize I can so quickly size people up from outward appearances as to whether they would ever be interested in hearing the gospel. You do that? I do that. I, I, I regularly size people up. I can look at their race, their dress, their hairstyles, clothing, absence of tattoos. They have tattoos. I can make all these kind of judgments about who they are and whether they would want to to know the good news. And I think to myself, I don't think they'd be interested. They, they, they wouldn't be interested. They aren't the type. They're, they're so different than me. So different. Or I can look and I can say their lives, and in a small town you can look and say their lives, I know them. So messed up. Or I can look at someone else and say they have it so together. It's just not the one side, is it? It's both directions. They have, it so, they have it so together. Their life is so together. I ever share with Sam, I ever talk. Now listen, I do want to say this in this message this morning. When you're speaking as a pastor, you can, you can produce guilt preaching on two subjects. One is evangelism, the other is prayer. We can, we can just, the guilt can pour down, but this isn't about guilt today. This isn't about condemnation, all right? Jesus Christ has taken away our guilt, Right? We're not guilty because of him, and there is therefore now no what. That's exactly right. So let's get rid of that. This is to encourage us that no matter what people appear on the outward, the people around us need Jesus. They need this message of joy that we have to give. That's what we know. In this instance, in the middle of another hot day, just like Jonah. In the wrong place, just like Jonah, with the wrong people, with the wrong person, just like Jonah. It ends up being people because he ends up going down afterwards, right? He responds. The wrong people, so many barriers. Jesus, and this is what's amazing. You talk about a a power dynamic differential, these two. With four words, Jesus breaks down every barrier. barrier. It's just by a very human question or a human statement. Give me a drink. And she's blown away. This man would ask me for a drink. This this Jewish man, give me a drink. And it went from, we know, the Savior and this sinful woman to this. Because he said, give me a drink. And with four words, he broke down the barrier between Jew and Samaritan, man and woman. The power differentials are leveled. And we have one man He has eternal life to give, and we have one woman, human being, that needed the eternal life he had to share. And listen, folks, when we get down to it, that's where we are, isn't it? That's who we are. And it all begins with him asking for a drink. Because at a fundamental level, that's the relationship we have with the world. We need the basic needs of life. We all go through the same suffering. We all go through the same sorrows. The difference is we have the words of eternal life. And they need the words of eternal life. But we understand them. then we understand the life that people around us live, don't we? We have the same suffering. We have the sorrows. When you scrape it all the way down to the core, that's who we are. Christ's church is full of people who have one message to the people around them that they need to hear. And we all struggle in the struggles of life together. We all deal with the same thing in life together. So again, with that, let there be no guilt. Every person around us needs the good news of Christ. Think about it. The rich person, the poor person, the sick person, the healthy person, the young person, the old person, the addict, the abstainer. We all need the same Jesus. Everyone needs the same Jesus. So that's the first point. Wrong people, wrong place, wrong time. Every person, all of us, need to hear the message. And we have the greatest news of all. So let's talk about the greatest news of all. Jesus' proclamation to her did not include any of man's, in our society particularly, any of our contemporary isms. Around us in society today, it's all about isms, right? And there was a lot of isms here. He could have talked to her about, well, you're you're obviously, you're a female. You're probably a victim of sexism. We need to talk about that. Or he could have said, you're a Samaritan. So you've obviously experienced racism. It could have been true. As an older female, you maybe experienced ageism. With your history, you've experienced colonialism. That's what our society would say, right? Or we would say you need to, your society needs to experience communism, capitalism, or socialism. He didn't hit atheism. He got to the root of the issue. Because these aren't, even though they might be struggles at times, these are never our greatest struggles. Our struggle is the greatest struggle in life is not horizontal, it's vertical. Our ism is this, we sin in our lives before a holy God, and we have no way out on our end. We can't work our way out, we can't do good works, we can't hope our way out, and that's the common reality of us all. There's no us and them. In reality, there is Jesus and the rest of the world. Jesus and the rest of the world. That's what you've got. And then he saves us, who are Christians, and he he comes to us and he gives us the message of salvation. And if you're a Christian here, someone spoke the message of the gospel to you along the way. And you might have been rich or poor, young or old, going through a difficult experience in your life or whatever else, but someone brought that message. Who did Jesus speak to right before this? Who came to him right before this story? He was a religious leader in the middle of the night. That's the story before this. Nicodemus. Nicodemus needed a savior. Jesus said, what? You must be what? Born again. So it didn't matter if it was a religious ruler, religious leader, right in the middle of the Jewish tradition, or this Samaritan woman who couldn't have been more wrong in her theology or more wrong in how she was living. They both needed the same savior. Let us know that they both need this wonderful message that a Savior has come. Now, look at this amazing interchange. Jesus asked her, or says to her, Give me a drink. And then he says, and in this discussion, he tells her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to you who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He piqued her interest. Living water. I have living water, and whoever drinks of this water will never be thirsty again. The water that I give to him will become in him a spring of water welling, to eat, welling up to eternal life. And for a woman who had to go out every day and draw water from a well in a hot, terrible climate, this is good news. She didn't understand it all yet, but this was good news. I'll give you living water, you don't have to draw, draw water again. And she's going, What about this? This sounds like good news. Yet she doesn't know the half of it. But he has given her good news, has he not? Right off the bat, he shared the good news. She asked to hear more. She asked to hear about her life, so he asked her to bring her husband, which was clearly a sensitive topic because she became religious at that moment, as we often do. She changed the topic, but ultimately she gets to the point where she says, "I know Messiah is coming, and when He comes, He will tell us all things." There's something else about all people. And I would say all people. Almost all people are aware of it. It's this. that Under the veneers that people have, everyone has an innate sense that there is a God. An innate sense that there is a God and hope for his care and for eternal life. We had a guy who, in our church who went in on D-Day, second wave on D-Day, Omaha Beach. And he said, Steve, there are no atheists in foxholes. Why? Because deep down, everyone knows. God has placed it in us that there is this God. People know things are wrong. Things are not the way they should be. And they desire to have eternal life. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I know that about you. You know there's something more than just this. And I hope that when I die, it's not going to be the end. We all desire that. So this woman says she knows these things. She knows Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus speaks to her at the end. He says this, I am he. Is that what? It's me. I am he. Oh, my. That's ultimately our message. God has sent his son. God has sent his Messiah. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. That's the good news. Jesus Christ, God's only Son, came to earth, lived the perfect life, was crucified on the cross, died for our sins, and rose again to give eternal life to all who had trusted in him, Savior and Lord. That's it's a simple message, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul just lays it out. Lived according to the scriptures, he died, he rose again. According to Scriptures, that's our message. And I would say this as well. Yes, we want to share. We want to share the gospel clearly, but the power is not in how well you share it. The power is in the message. That really, thats what releases us from guilt and condemnation. We're not—we're not trying to bring save anybody. We're bringing good news, and the power of salvation is in the gospel. In the gospel. So as we come into the holidays this year, and as we look into the coming year. Number one, there are no wrong people when it comes to sharing the gospel. When you look around, when you go caroling, we tend to size people up. Just remind yourself, there are no wrong people to share those news with. No wrong people. We are all in the same place. Ephesians 2 says, if you want to flip it around, there are no right people either. There are only people who are spiritually dead who God wants to make alive through the good news of Jesus Christ. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 9-11. I'm going to read this because this lady fits the first three categories. Paul wrote these words. He says, do you not know, and he's writing to the church, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Here's the people who are going to inherit the kingdom of God. He says, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers are going to inherit the kingdom of God. She was all three. He went to that type of person. Let's finish the list out. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a lot of groups out there, isn't it? That group's a lot of people. And you know what his next words are? And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Praise God, huh? That's who God sends his message to. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Listen. When it comes into the world, there are us who have the message of salvation and there's a world around us that needs to hear it. And when you scrape everything away, that's what it comes down to. Two groups of people. And we who are Christians, we have this wonderfully... I am so glad I'm a Christian that I get to share this news of salvation. Not if you pray enough, if you do enough good works, if you travel to this place, if you spend time in purgatory, if you do penance, then you'll be good enough. No, we say, we're never good enough. But there was one who came who is, and he came to die for you. It's, it's joyful news. So, two things. There are no wrong people to share the good news with. The places and times to share the good news might be much more common than we at first think. We know that because Jesus shortly after says to the disciples, do you not say there are four months more and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. The fields are white to harvest. They're white. Many more places, many more times. Listen, there are few in this world who don't agree that the world's a mess. There are few in this world who do not agree that the world is broken. They know there's something wrong. And there are few in this world who aren't personally affected by this brokenness. So there are little phrases you can do that just opens the door. Well, how do I do this? i tell you one phrase. This isn't the key. So I don't make sound. This is the magic key. No, it's not. But Here's a phrase that really helps. When you hear the brokenness in the world of someone's life, these words, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? You know, I've hardly ever had anyone ever say no. Can I pray for you? I, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Here's our prayer. Can I pray for you? Because I know where you're at. I understand. Why? Because we're all human Can I share the hope that I have with you? Another phrase. Here's another great phrase. I'd like to invite you to my church to see what we believe. And I'll pick you up. (laughs) How's that? I'll come get you. Can I share you my thoughts about Jesus? And then give reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. Listen, most people here, you're going to say, I'm not a theologian. Great. You don't need to be a theologian. You just need to know the one you can save. If you're a Christian, you do. Give reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, and see where, and see where it leads. Now, what I don't want you to, and Kim would say this, don't want you to feel pressure that you're every moment looking around saying, where am I going to share? No, it's living life. It's just living life and caring for people and knowing and, and finding the lie that they would never want to hear this. And just sharing and sharing as much as you can. You can sense, you can sense the moment. You can read the room. Sometimes, sometimes it goes nowhere. But here's the reality: some reap, or some sow, and some reap. Some soil we know from the story of the sowing of the seed. Some soil is hard. Some is rocky. Some is thorny. We know that for some, we're the fragrance of life and the message comes. For others, we're the fragrance of death. That's not easy, but it's the reality. But here's what you can know as well: God's always at work everywhere, all the time. And you go to join what He's already doing in people's lives. So you're not making it happy happen. You are going to where God has gone often before you ever showed up. And you're sharing the good news of Christ. And for some people, the soil has been made ready by God's good hand, by others sowing. And you get to share the gospel that brings a change in life. Think about this. That changes someone's life forever. Forever. From darkness to life, From death to to living again. We have the most wonderful news of all. Let there be no guilt. Let there be no condemnation. Let there be glad tidings of great joy. That it shall be to all the people, right? So let's broaden our views to all the people around us. And let's believe God to do amazing things. To close this story, just recently I talked to a friend of mine. He was a part of our church for a while, then he moved to another city. I hadn't talked to him for 15 years. They went through some real ch- a real tragedy in their family. So because of that, I talked to him, <clears throat> caught him on the phone, was talking to him, was uh, just grieving with him a little bit. But in that, he was telling me about my dad, and I did not know this story. This man grew up. He's in his 60s now. Grew up in our town. I knew him. He was a year ahead of me in school, and he got into a lot of stuff, a lot of bad things. It was back in the 70s. He had hair down about here, thick blonde hair, and he he was. Uh, you just said he's not the one who would ever want to hear. Well, he was a patient of my dad's, and my dad's a dentist, and he was a patient of my dad's, and my dad knew his dad. My father is was one of the was a very uh, words did not come to him easily, and he was more timid. And he always had a burden to want to share the, share the gospel. But here, you, know, de- you talk about a power imbalance. There's a power imbalance in a dental office, right? You know? <laughs> need I say more? So he never wanted to take advantage of anyone there because they're sitting in his chair. They can't, they can't leave, and he's always wondering, God, can I share? And, and then on top of it, he's a very timid. He was a timid person. And words, And I just want to say, words did not come easily for him. Uh, but he's a wonderful Christian man. But this friend of mine told me just a few weeks ago, he said, you know, your dad, and I knew he thought the world of dad, and he he said, your dad, uh, years ago, I was 16 years old, 17 years old, I went to the dental office one day, and after he got done working on my teeth, he shared with me about Jesus. Now, this young man knew about, he he grew up in church, he knew something about, he said, my dad shared... Humbly and uh, with integrity uh, just personally shared. And I'm sure they were halting words. I know my dad. They would not have come out easy. He would not have said, here's the four points of salvation. Here's justification. He wouldn't use any of those words. But he told him about Jesus. He said, you know, that affected my life. And he was into stuff. He was into drugs. He was into other things as well. But he said, your dad shared. And he said, "It, it, it affected my mind and my heart, and I started thinking about this. From a dental, being in a dental office, and and to make a long story short, shortly after this young man began dating a young lady who was a Christian, and she shared the gospel with me. He became a Christian, became one of my closest friends, um, served in our church, was part of our church in the very beginning, then moved on. I didn't know that story. He said, your dad, it began because your dad took time after an appointment, to share about Jesus with me. And it wasn't heavy-handed, but it was one of the seeds that, that stirred his heart, that began to do the work, that the power of the gospel, the word of God, does not return void, and from that he became a Christian and has eternal life. We have a wonderful Savior. Let's tell people about him. Let's not limit what God can do. Let there be, again, I must say this again, let there be no guilt. Let there be no condemnation. We have good news of great joys which shall be to all the people. All right? So in this Christmas season, and I'm going to pray here in just a moment because I know in this Christmas season it also means that we have friends and family around us this season that don't know the Lord, many of us. And we want them to know the Savior, and we can feel the pressure, be released from pressure, But trust God in that moment. When the time comes, just share a word, share a thought, share a hope. We need God's help. We know that because Paul, and I want to read one last scripture. Paul asked for the saints to pray for him. He said in the end of Ephesians, Pray for me also that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me pray for me in the opening of my mouth. Don't we need that? It's the heart the words are hard to begin with, aren't they? Lord, help me. Help me have the words when I open my mouth. Help me know how much to say, not to say too much, but to say enough. but Lord help me. So as I preach this, I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. May the Lord help us this Christmas season, this coming year to share the words because we have the message of eternal life that everyone needs to hear. Let's pray together and ask God to help us, okay? We'll ask the worship team to come up. we are praying. And after I pray, I will sing together. Father, as we hear this message, Lord, we, we believe it. We believe we have the Savior of the world who is our Savior, who has come and given us new life. Lord, you've changed us so much, and you are changing us. And we, we do have a joy Jack spoke about it's It's a joy that's beyond ourselves. that helps us in the deepest of sorrows and the greatest of joys. Lord, it's found in you. And Lord, we have loved ones around us and friends and family and neighbors that we long to to know you. And Lord, there's others that we look at and we say, "Uh, they probably aren't interested. Lord, broaden our hearts. Broaden our, our sight. Help us to see that the fields are white in the harvest. And then, Lord, like Paul, we pray. Give us the words we open our mouth that we might boldly and joyfully proclaim the mystery of the gospel Lord thank you that the power isn't in us but the power to be made new new birth comes from above as we share the gospel Lord I pray through our lives and through this church the good news will go out and the Holy Spirit will regenerate many people and bring people from death to life Now thank you for it, we're dependent upon you But Lord, thank you that we have wonderful news to share, the greatest news of all. And it's in your son's name we pray.